0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of ClearNote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit ClearNoteBloomington.com/slash give. Well, good morning. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to preach to you from God's Word this morning, despite my froggy voice. Hope you can bear with it, and I hope it can bear with it. Um, My name is Philip Moyer, and since last year, I've been serving as the youth pastor here at Clearnote Church, although many of you know I've been here much longer than that. Um, I can say that I've really enjoyed uh, stepping into that new role for me and for my wife, despite its many challenges. And we're very glad to be doing that work, to be teaching the older children of the church, and we've really enjoyed getting to know them better, and we love them very much. And over these past six months uh, in my work with the youth, it's been my goal to help them see as Christians that they are members of the body of Christ, and especially that we are all members of one another, and for them to see their part in that. And as we heard not too long ago as part of our First Corinthians series, um, First Corinthians twelve twelve says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in, is Christ. And just as Pastor Bailey has preached to us concerning unity in the church and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and love for one, or, one another, um, it's been my emphasis with the youth um, to help them see how the same commands of unity and love and even accepting and appreciating the gifts of others applies to them as well. And so this past semester, or actually this semester, we've been focusing on Romans 12. And uh, throughout the first part of the semester, I've exhorted them to not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to recognize, again, that they are members of one another, working together in building up the body of Christ. Over the past couple weeks, we've talked about giving preference to one another, and having love, and that that bond of love we have in Christ is greater than any other physical or blood relation that we may have. It's spiritual, and it's in Christ. The spiritual is greater than the physical. And not only is our brotherly bond as Christians far greater than any blood relation, it's it's ever more real. And so as Christians, we're called to honor and love one another with brotherly love, and not to have hypocrisy as we do so, as Romans 12 says. Well, these themes have been present in my mind because of my work with the youth, and it's along these lines that I felt directed to preach this morning. So a few chapters later in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul elaborates on the reason for our need to love one another and gives us a few details on how we ought to do that, and that's where I want to focus today. So would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans 15 and follow along with me or the screen behind me as I read it. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and hope and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father's. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you, abound, you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So the themes in this passage have been churning and simmering in my mind recently, not only because of my involvement with the youth, but also because of how I have seen others live out these commands. I have witnessed living examples. And for that reason, let me commend to you our pastors and our elders and our deacons, who are examples of those who bear the weaknesses of those without strength. You might not even know that they have done such things or even how they have done them. But let me assure you, and especially after having had an elders' meeting this past week, they bear our weaknesses. And it is evident in their care for us. But for me, it touches even closer than that because my own weaknesses have been borne by these same men. And their weaknesses have been borne by others of us. There are times where I have been strong. And able to bear the weaknesses of others, but there are times when I am weak and need others to intervene on my behalf and bear my weaknesses. And the same is true for you. Over the past three years, I have been involved in an extremely difficult pastoral work outside of this church for the good of God's kingdom and for the purity of the church It was a work that I was not strong enough to bear alone because it touched on my weaknesses. So I was weak and needed help. And those who were strong have ministered strength to me and have made me able to bear it. They have not only helped me to bear it, but they have helped me to have courage and to be strong in the Lord. For three years they have done this and I am very grateful for them. And so I commend these men to you who care for your soul and who, who bear your weaknesses. And I encourage you to follow their examples as they have been an example to me. Now understand we all have weaknesses that need to be ministered to. Someone who is strong may not always be strong. We all have our moments of weakness. And maybe not just moments, maybe ongoing or chronic. This is why verse 1 commands those of us who are strong to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves, because we are working together in the body of Christ. And even the weakest among us Needs to be utilized and appreciated and cared for as part of Christ's body. But you wish that the Apostle Paul hadn't added that last part and not please ourselves. Because that's where he nails us. He's got our number. Because we are so self gratifying, we are so self indulgent, our appetites are huge. We just want to consume and consume. And what do we want to consume? Well, I wish I could say that we wanted to consume God's Word and feast on it, the very food we need, but only if it were true. Sadly, we consume and consume in order to satisfy our flesh, every little desire, every little appetite we will let nothing stop us from getting what we want. And when something does actually stop us from getting what we want, we get angry and bitter. I have become this way. We don't accept God's divine intervention in not letting us have what we want. Instead, we have a tantrum about how hard our lives are because we don't get to indulge In our fleshly desires. And I have one word for this entitlement. We think we are entitled to not have to serve our brethren because, oh, we work so hard. We are seemingly so inconvenienced by our brethren that we should not have to be the one to bear our brethren's weaknesses. In fact, we complain in our hearts. So-and-so isn't bearing enough weight. Why, why won't he do it? He ought to do it, not me. But brothers and sisters, this is, this is wrong. This is unacceptable. We are called to take up our crosses and follow after Jesus Christ. We are called to hard work. We are not called to please ourselves. In fact, let's just take out that word just from the first verse. It's not in the Greek anyway. Let's read it like this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. And you might say, you can't do that. You're you're messing up the text. Well, let's see about that. Verse three says, for even Christ did not please himself. Where is the word just? How come the Bible translators didn't make it consistent? And say, for even Christ did not just please himself. That would make more sense so that we could follow his example. But it doesn't say that. And the original Greek doesn't say that. Verses 1 and 3 should be parallel as the Greek is. We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. For Christ did not please himself. Are we so unwilling to do what Christ did? Are the Bible translators unwilling to hold us to the same standards that Jesus is held to? He was an example for us. But are we greater than our master that we shouldn't be required to put aside our pleasures for the sake of others? No, we are not. Jesus says that no servant is greater than his master. So why should we have more pleasures than he enjoyed? Are we entitled to them? No, in fact, we are entitled to show grace and mercy because that is what he has shown to us. His own self-denial is the very argument for our own self-denial. Christians are not to be selfish because Christ was not selfish. And mind you, this command is not just to the strong. But verse 2 says, each of us, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. It doesn't say here, please ourselves, but says please our neighbors. Now, there is a way to seek to please our neighbor that is sinful, where in the end, the goal would be to ultimately please ourselves. And this is called flattery. But this is not what we are called to do. We are not called to gain honor among our friends and neighbors by puffing ourselves up. We're not called to be accepted by the world by our trampling of the gospel through our shame of it. In fact, it is no honor to be honored by those who despise and reproach Christ. Acceptance by the world doesn't bring us honor before God. Acceptance by Christ through his gospel brings us honor before God. Christ brings honor. Honoring God brings honor. So, how do we please our neighbor? And who is our neighbor? Well, most certainly, our brethren in Christ are our neighbors. And most certainly, we are commanded to please them. We should, in fact, seek at all times to please our brethren. We are one with them. And when one of them suffers, we all suffer. But how does Scripture answer the question who is our neighbor? You might know the answer. You might know where I'm going with this. You might remember the lawyer in Luke 10 who put Jesus to the test. And he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Do you think that that person, the one who was attacked, whether a believer or not, was strengthened and edified through the compassion shown to him? Was strength ministered to him? Was he built up physically, morally, or spiritually? Absolutely. And this is what we are called to do. This is what Jesus did. He ministered strength to the weak, and he healed them. He had compassion, and they came to him by faith as a result. And no doubt there is a sacrifice in this if we do the Lord's work. No doubt there is a cost. But if we are in Christ, we are Christians. And if we are Christians, we are to take up our crosses And follow after Jesus because he has given us the greatest example of self denial by his very obedience to his Father. So, we Christians, we take up our crosses. We are to bear the weaknesses of others. We are to do that which would please our Lord and Master, not ourselves. And we aren't alone as we do this. In fact, as we read in our scripture lesson earlier from Hebrews 11, clearly we are not alone. And the good news is that Jesus even comforts us as we take up our crosses. He gives us confidence that He is bearing with us, saying, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Quoted from Psalm 69. In fact, David, the psalmist, is well aware of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ as he prays in Psalm 69, verses 7 through 9. For your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And we apply these words to Christ, who did not please himself, but as it is written in verse 3, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ bears our reproach. Jesus said to the apostle Paul before he became an apostle and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you know that Saul was persecuting Christians. But who bore the reproach? It was Christ. He bears it with us and for us. And what he bore is infinitely beyond what we would ever bear. As Matthew Henry put it, he bore the guilt of sin and the curse for it we are only called to bear a little of the trouble of it. He bore the presumptuous sins of the wicked. We are called only to bear the infirmities of the weak. So our suffering in no way compares to the suffering of Jesus. But he is our example. He denied himself, then we should deny ourselves out of gratitude for what he has done for us. And because of his example set for us. And if we should ever feel alone, we have prayer and we have the scriptures which show us that we are not alone. And we have one another in Christ. We have a tremendous encouragement from the scriptures just as verse 4 says. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is exactly why we must turn to the scriptures for our encouragement, so that we might persevere and have hope. Because in them, we see how God was faithful to his saints all throughout history. And he will be no less faithful to his servants today. We must Turn to the scriptures and we must persevere through the trials we receive in his name. The scriptures will instruct us and encourage us in this. And this is exactly the reason why the Psalms ought to have a regular part of our lives and our worship because through them we are directed how to worship and how to interact with God. And we are directed in, in how we should feel And through them we are shown that though we may often feel alone, we are not. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Psalms to teach us how to pray and how to praise God and even how we should think and feel. And so if we rely on the scriptures, they will give us hope and we must cling to them so that we persevere. The Apostle Paul ends this section with a benediction. You may have noticed that there are two of them in this passage I read. Benediction being a prayer of, of blessing. In verses 5 and 6, he does this because he knows that his exhortation falls to the ground unless God works through his Spirit and stirs up the hearts of men to obey his commands. And to sum up his prayer, He prays that God would unify them, that they would be of the same mind, so that with one accord they would with one voice glorify God. And here we are talking about the praise of God. We must praise God with one voice, meaning we must not be divided, because in Christ we are one body, yet members of one another. Our voices won't reach to the heavens when it is full of division, disunity, or discord. Our hearts need to agree with one another. And just as Pastor Carell said last week in his sermon, how can you give a clear note when there is dissonance among us? And it's significant that the Apostle Paul would pray this prayer after the things he had just said. In the beginning of of the chapter, he was talking about the strong bearing the weaknesses of the weak and not pleasing ourselves. But now he is praying for unity. And there is a connection here. In fact, our unity is dependent upon our love and our care for one another. And this really gets at the heart of it. We cannot be selfish and have unity. We cannot please ourselves and have unity. We cannot neglect the weak and have unity. We need to bear with the weak because they are one with us. And God does not give us gifts so that we can keep them to ourselves He doesn't make people strong for their own sakes. He doesn't give knowledge to some so that they can keep their knowledge to themselves. We are to share our gifts with one another. We are to support and strengthen each other through them. Listen to what John Calvin says about this passage. He said, For as God has destined those to whom He has granted superior knowledge to convey instruction to the ignorant, So to those whom he makes strong, he commits the duty of supporting the weak by their strength. Thus ought all gifts to be communicated among all the members of Christ. The stronger than anyone is in Christ, the more bound he is to bear with the weak. The stronger he is, the more bound he is to bear with the weak. Our gifts are not for ourselves. We are members of one another and we are to share these good gifts with each other. But as if saying all oh, this wasn't enough, look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse seven. He says, therefore, accept one another. And we think we have a past. We think, oh, I do, yeah, I accept everybody, yeah, Yeah, I love everybody. But you don't. No, you don't. And you know you don't. And you need to repent of your lack of love for the members of the body of Christ. You need to accept Christ's members in brotherly love. Remember, brothers are related by blood. And this is the kind of love you are called to share with your brothers in Christ. The special... Bond of love that is through blood relation. This bond is is greater, as I said earlier, than any physical bond. Our Father in heaven is greater than any physical Father on earth, the spiritual is greater than the physical we are called to brotherly love. And as Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. So don't put on a show of love. Actually do it. Pray for one another. That's a great place to start. And if it is too hard for you to pray for someone because you despise them, then pray to God and confess your sins and say, Lord, Lord, You know my heart, and you know that I despise so-and-so. Name the name. Would you please soften my heart and teach me to love him? And God is faithful. He will answer your prayers. In verse 1, the strong were exhorted to help the weak, but here in verse 7, we are all called to accept one another. And at this moment in Matthew Henry's commentary, he says, "'Receive one another, for sometimes the prejudices of the weak Christian make him shy of the strong, as much as the pride of the strong Christian makes him shy of the weak, neither of which ought to be. Let there be a mutual embracing among Christians.'" You know what he's talking about? Have you experienced this in your life? Have you been shy to approach someone, either out of your own prejudice or out of your own pride? I have. But this is not how it's supposed to be. We need to overcome these things, we need to mutually love one another. As Matthew Henry said, let there be a mutual embracing among Christians. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you think you can escape this command to accept one another, the Apostle Paul adds even more weight to it and says, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. If there is any pride left remaining in your hearts, it should be demolished right here. Why? Because Christ has accepted us. Are you unwilling to accept one another? You ought to consider who has accepted you. That is Jesus Christ, the one who is eternal, the perfect one, the holy one, he who is without sin. And who are we? Who are you? A man, a woman, born in sin, unable to save yourself, and he has accepted you. Why should you not accept others? Are you greater than your master? I think not. Therefore, accept one another. Put to death your pride. If Christ has accepted me, How can I not accept others? Christ has accepted me in my weakness. Therefore, I ought to accept others in their weakness. And I grant, it may be difficult. They may kick and fight as we seek to serve them. They may not want my help, or they may be deeply wounded, and need to be cared for and tended to for an extended period of time until they are well or stronger. But this is how we share our gifts with one another. We apply strength where there is weakness. If God has given me strength, I should not be so proud to not use my strength for His glory and not to strengthen those who are weak. I should not be so selfish. For if Christ did not please himself, why should I please myself and not others? We must accept one another. We don't want to tear apart that which Christ has joined together. That which he has made one. And so Romans 14:1 says, "Accept the one who is weak in faith. And Christ is our example. And what we might suffer for his sake in no way compares to what he suffered for our sake. And even what we suffer now, he bears us up in it. Just as verse 3 says, the reproaches of those who reproach us fall on him. He bears us up. He gives us strength and perseverance as we work for his kingdom. And so the Apostle Paul continues after verse 7. And here he is sewing up where there still may be division. You may know there is much division between the Jewish converts and Gentile Christians in Rome at this time. As we can gather from the previous chapters in Romans. Romans. The Gentiles were exhorted in chapter 11 to not be conceited about their calling as Christians, but to fear, because if God did not spare the natural branches, those who were the Jews, he will not spare the Gentiles who were grafted in if they fail to stand by their faith. And similarly, in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul rebuked the Jews, saying, one is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision, circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And so, all throughout Romans, the Apostle Paul is seeking to urge the recipients of the letter onto a real inward faith without pride and without division. Whether it was weakness on the part of the Jews for wanting to retain some aspects of their Judaism, or whether it was the arrogance of the Gentiles who needed to be warned to walk in the fear of the Lord, they were both addressed for the purpose of the building up of the church. And to further the point, the apostle demonstrates how Jesus Christ has received both Jews and Gentiles. In verse 8, he says that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Note how Christ leads with his example. He has become a servant. And by the example of his serving, so should we serve. He served constantly. So should we. And to whom was he a servant? The circumcision, who are the Jews. Christ spent his entire earthly ministry serving the Jews, fulfilling and confirming the promises made in the Old Testament to the fathers. He blessed them. He blessed the Jews. He healed them. He talked with them. He touched them. He loved them. He sought to save the lost sheep of Israel to redeem them. And likewise, he became a servant to the Gentiles so that they would glorify God for his mercy. But he leaves no distinction between them because in the end, he gathered them both from a miserable estate. And brought them into the Father's kingdom, that they might be one flock, in one sheepfold, under one shepherd. Therefore, since Christ didn't despise either of them, they should continue in the unity that Christ established. And so should we, as their children in the faith. And in order for us to continue in this unity, we must have gratitude We must be thankful to God for his mercy. We must have gratitude toward one another. And we must have gratitude for Christ. Because of his mercy, there is nothing that merits us to be called God's children. Nothing. So we ought to glorify God for his mercy. And the verses that follow from verse 9 are beautiful examples of that unity of both Jews and Gentiles in Christ, spoken from the Old Testament. The first quotation in verse nine, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Spoken by a Jew. This is a quote from Psalm 18, verse 49. And is prophesying that God's praise Will go forth even among the Gentiles, therefore proving God's calling to the Gentiles and the marvelous gift of his mercy to them. Then in verse 10, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. From Deuteronomy 32. The Gentiles are called to come and rejoice with God's people, they are partakers in God's kingdom. And they are not only called to experience the great benefits of salvation, but also to share in the church's sufferings and to the work of bearing with one another, supporting one another, even through tribulation, so that all may share in the joy of Christ. And then in verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him, which is quoted from Psalm 117. And the Gentiles cannot praise God without the knowledge of him and so we understand that we are all one together here. Only through the conversion of our souls are we able to praise God and we should praise him with gratefulness and thankfulness because of his mercy. And finally, verse 12 quoted from the Septuagint's translation of Isaiah 11.10. It took me some time Trouble finding this uh, quoted in the Old Testament because it was a Septuagint translation that was quoted here in Romans, which says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. And in the context of Isaiah, these words are full of great hope and consolation because though there would seem to be only a few faithful souls or a remnant at the time of Isaiah, God's promise was that from a shoot from the stem of Jesse, the king would arise to rule over all the nations and that his kingdom would reach all the ends of the earth. Therefore, Jesus, the Messiah, is not only king of the Jews, but he is also the king and ruler of the Gentiles, and he will be their hope. This is God's mercy to us. And then finally, the Apostle Paul again closes the section with a blessing, a benediction, a prayer, saying, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So rejoice, be filled with all joy and peace in believing. Praise God for his mercy that he has extended to you, a Gentile. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be of one mind, be in unity with the brethren, Don't keep your gifts to yourselves, but share them with one another. Love the church and love all who Christ loves. In fact, have them into your homes. Bear with them, cry with them, laugh with them, and you go into their homes and serve them and pray for them. And don't seek to please yourselves. Seek to please your neighbor for his good. Be of the same mind and accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Let's pray together.